Welcome to Successful, the podcast, a show about the stories of women redefining success. We're your hosts. I'm Carla. And I'm Natalie. Like you, we're two career women figuring out the meaning of success. In each episode, we bring you our stories and the stories of other women who are redefining success in life, in work, and on their own terms. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Successful the Podcast. I'm Carla, and I'm here with Natalie. Hey, everybody. Beautiful, beautiful Natalie and beautiful Megan Miller. We are interviewing um, a language teacher, language coach, someone that actually went to my alma mater. So I'm super excited to have Megan here. Hola. <laughs> Megan, thank you. Hola. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Megan, you were in New York City last weekend, and I was telling Natalie a little bit about it. Tell us how it went, because you were there for a pretty important life event, I would say. Yes, I mean, well, I think as with anything, um, any kind of woman entrepreneur, we have imposter syndrome. And I am just your lovely gringa, there's no way around it, redhead, super pale skin, gonna continue buying fair ivory makeup for the rest of my life i'm here with you <laughs> right and so the imposter syndrome has just been kind of kicking around in my head and i always like to battle that imposter syndrome with certifications and so um this was a diploma de español como lengua extranjera from el instituto cervantes or basically a Spanish certification from the Cervantes Institute. And it was six hours completely in Spanish. And now I'm trying to change my brain back to English. So thank you guys so much for having me on so that I can practice both, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Feel free to drop in some Spanish. And your Spanish is excelente. Muy, muy buen español. Gracias. <laughs> Gracias. So tell us a little tell us a little bit about yourself, Megan. I think that your story is is so cool. Um, and I think that you are so so brave for just going after your passion for languages. So tell us your story a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in front of a cornfield in Ohio. Um, there was not much diversity. There was not many, there were not many things to do um, outside of, you know, 4-H, FFA, Future Farmers of America. And when my mom went back to school to become a teacher, she had to pick up a foreign language. She chose Spanish. And all of a sudden, I just kind of glommed onto that. And I said, well, this gobbledygook sounds fun. Let me see if I can learn. And continued it throughout high school, university, and just really felt and knew kind of as at an intrinsic level before I even did any research about it, that the words that we use and the words in our brain matter so much to how we view the world, how we view ourselves in the world. And um, I also saw kind of firsthand that if you don't use it, you lose it. Because now I'm still the only person in my family to speak Spanish because <laughs> my mom never used it. So she lost it, unfortunately. So, I mean, I, I saw the value add. I saw it kind of 
how it was tenuous and you have to hold on to it. And I said, I want to hold on to it, but I also want to teach other people how to hold on to that too. And so with Aprovechar Language Solutions, that's what I do. I work with habits and routines to make it so that your Spanish will stick in your head in a way that is meaningful to you. And for me, that's always been through music. I love, I love me a good Nicky Jam, a good Chino y Nacho, a good Vialadores del Verso, a good Mala Rodriguez, like all sorts of music to just kind of match your mood and match the words that you want inside your head for that day. You're speaking my language, literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. I mean, my my husband, as you know, is, is learning Spanish. I've, I've shared that with you. And Music has been a really big part of music and karaoke. He has been teaching himself how to sing songs in Spanish. And it's such a great way to just dive into the vocabulary and practice the pronunciation. So I love that you incorporate that. And and just that you're seeing not just the language learning as taking a class, but how does the brain retain the language and also the confidence piece of you know, of learning. There, there's definitely the imposter syndrome that you mentioned for language learners, right? I, I experience it when I'm when I'm trying to practice my French. Um, so yeah, really impactful well, work see. that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's all about confidence and judgment and perception. And really, when I, I remember being in high school and learning the verb pertenecer for the first time, and that means to belong. And I was like, ooh, that's a good one. And not just because it's irregular and you have to remember all the content, conjugations, but just the importance of belonging and not only belonging to a language, but belonging to a culture. And I think when you learn a different language, you're always going to feel a little bit like an outsider to that culture, but there are ways that you can make it so that you can still get all the good juiciness of the language and of the culture um, without, you know, bending over backwards to try to assimilate um, or, or take over, you know. So it's just, it's in my mind, it's something that you add. It's not something that needs to be taken away. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Ah, pertenecer. That is a beautiful word. <laughs> and you're so right when you're learning. I mean, I, I experience that, that sense of not belonging when I'm in France visiting my brother, right? Because... It's a little bit like I'm the outsider learning the language. And so that's very well said. So tell us a little bit about how you landed in this this work. Because I don't think that this is what you've always been doing, right? And by the way, I should mention that you and I went to the same school, Syracuse University, didn't know each other, and just realized just in our conversation that, oh, I went to Syracuse too. So how cool is that? (laughs) That was actually... One yeah. one of the draws of Syracuse was because, I mean, I graduated high school with 200 other people, and I was one of maybe three or four that went out of state for college. Um, that was my big, brave, you know, I'm a big girl now going out in the world. And Syracuse was great in that it was so big to where you can just kind of pass people, but it was small in that you had your circle, you had your major, like a lot of my classes were 10 or less people, um, just, you know, debating political science, like, (laughs) which I still nerd out about. Um, so 
yeah, I, I went to school for international relations in Spanish and I minored in economics um, and graduated with, you know, $40,000 in debt. And I was like, I need to get a job. And I had landed in Washington, D.C. because I'd spent a semester here um, as part of an internship through Syracuse. And I said, well, I like this. This is my Goldilocks city. It is bigger than Ohio. It is smaller than New York. It's not as overwhelming. And I'm going to stay here. So I ended up working for a healthcare consulting firm um, because I was like, really on this consulting track. I was like, consulting is problem solving. And that's what I like to do. Uh, and was, was a, basically a secretary <laughs> for the oh. consulting firm. <laughs> so I got my start in consulting, uh, through a firm, but not actually doing any consulting work. Um, then I kind of switched over and became a federal contractor. So I was a federal consultant. Um, and that's really where I started to learn and grow. And it's, honestly, that's where I grew up um, in, in my career. So I was there for about three years, um, doing all sorts of stuff, just learning all sorts of technology and process and project management and what that meant. I, I created my first uh, workflow diagram there. So it's, you know, <laughs> a big cornerstone. Um, elections happened, Department of Energy. I didn't know if I was going to have a job or not. I switched over back to the private sector and become became an IT project manager. Um, once again, trying to f- solve problems through technology and process and working with people. But I really fell in love with the training and development part of that, which is just all about people. So basically started to take everything that I had learned from all of that. And Spanish was always this little sombra. It was this shadow that was always following me around. I was like, I really want to go back to my roots and Aprovechar honestly had been an idea in the back of my head for the last 10 years. And I thought, not now, not now. I need more work experience. I'm not experienced enough. I'm too young. Blah, blah, blah. All the, all the evil little voices that come out when we try to do something new and fun. And um, so I, I started to put in place some of the business goals and things, taking some of the training, taking some of the habits and routines and self-help books that I had read over the years. And then of course, taking the language piece and layered that on top of each other and said, this is how I want to do it, but I want to do it still with that consultative approach. I still want to do it solving people's problems and helping them realize how to solve their own problems. So getting into that motivation and getting into the, instead of this is a corporate directive and you must and you shall, it's more what is driving you? Why? Why, 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 why? That was always my favorite question as a kid and it's my favorite question now. <laughs> wow. I, I I love that because first of all, we have so much in common because I also studied international relations with a Spanish minor and went into okay, consulting. I, I also studied international relations oh my. with a French minor. But three I already have the Spanish there. Are we the Powderpuff twins? I think we are. 
It's hilarious. Should we be fighting crime now? I think we should be. And when you were like, oh, I love debating politics, I was like, that's me. I would never want to go into that job, but I love talking about it. And some people hate it. Exactly. Love it. Anyway. Well, it all comes back to the political science answer, right? It depends. It depends. It depends. It depends. I love it. Which is also a consulting answer. Not just a political science, but a consulting answer too. It depends. Yeah, it totally depends. But I I mean, this is actually a good segue because I find it so interesting that we all come from a very similar background. You and Carla even went to the same school and we all ended up in consulting. And I know why I did. I was like, I don't know what I want to do, but this offers me anything. And I get to you know solve people's problems and maybe travel. But what was it for you besides that problem solving that made you stay for so long? It was the variety. The variety. Um, The variety of projects and also the variety of clients or the variety of helping different types of people. Um, So when I was in the private sector at my last corporate job, they had an office that used to be their headquarters. Um, So they had a, a main office in Montreal. So Carla, as you were talking about your French, I was like, this is like, I started to really talk to these people that did not feel valued before. And I I got to say things like, what do you want to see? And I got to use my rudimentary French to try to figure out how to best serve them. Because as we all know, speaking their language is not just a linguistic skill, it's also the word choices that we use to try to make people feel valued and seen and heard. And that that's one of my core beliefs. People need people. So me as a person, not only am I going to need somebody else, but I want to help somebody else because they're, they need other people too. So it's trying to figure out who feels like an Island and in the government, it was very similar where there were certain people that just felt like islands and there were expectations and some of them were verbalized and a lot of them weren't. And it's how do I help organize this mess <laughs> so that it doesn't look like a rubber band ball and instead we can actually, you know, use the rubber bands to organize something <laughs> instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get something out of that problem solving. Absolutely. And I just find it interesting that you had this idea in the back of your head the whole time. So what was that transition point where you were like, you know, I'm making good money at my corporate job. I love solving problems, unwinding these rubber bands, but I've just got to go do this other thing. It was the fact that almost every single day driving home, I would cry because I had to put on a mask. And I had to be somebody that was not showing up to work 100%. And I thought, am I going to continue this for the next two years, five years, seven years? Or am I just going to bite the bullet? So in a sense, I was over my own shit. (laughs) I was over, (laughs) just completely over it. And going, if not now, when? And at that point in time, I looked at it and I said, okay, I was in the private sector at a large company. I was in, you know, a very small government consulting firm. I was in a small private sector company as well. I wasn't happy in any of those. And the problem wasn't with any of those companies. 
the problem was I never felt like I could show up 100% to any of those jobs. And I didn't, I didn't like that feeling. It wasn't a great feeling. So I thought to myself, you know what? It, it's kind of now or never. And if I do this and I try and I fail, at least I can say that I tried. Yeah. What's, what's the, worst? the worst that could happen? I was just going to say, what's the worst that can happen? And it sounds like you were just so unhappy that, you know, it, anything would be better than what you were experiencing. Because that feeling of not being in alignment, not feel, feeling fulfilled or like you can be yourself is really damaging. It's really hard to deal with that on a daily basis psychologically. So I can imagine that's just like you're over it, right? Yeah. I mean, it was... I was, I wasn't fulfilled in my job, but I was content. Mm -hmm. And for me, content and complacency are are very, they're like ingrown toenails next Mm -hmm. to each other. Like I didn't, I didn't want to feel like I wasted any time because every year that we have on this earth is precious. So we shouldn't waste it. Yeah. I admire that. What a concept. I admire that. Yeah. I admire that so much. And I think that you kind of alluded to this earlier that, um, you know, when we do take these steps in the direction of our dreams, it's scary. And there's these like little voices, right? Telling you, it's not the right time. You're not ready. You don't have it all figured out. What are you thinking? Right? That's like the inner judge. But you've got to just start taking some action, right? Because you can sit and do the research and the dreaming, but that's not getting you to move forward. And so I really admire that you, that actually that you, you were seeing that you were at this like, like almost like a neutral line and you didn't want to live there. You wanted to live high, you know, and higher levels of fulfillment and joy and excitement about what you do every day. And I love what you said about showing up 100% because yeah, to your point, life is too short to show up at, who wants to show up at 50%? Yikes. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it was terrifying. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. It was exhilarating. It was awkward. Like the first three to five months, it was a roller coaster. And I am not a roller coaster person, um, literally or, or emotionally. I can't handle it. And the highs were so high and the lows were so low. But it's, it's similar to learning to, to language learning in that if you get over that first hump, then it starts to kind of become a little bit more consistent. Then the highs are still high and the lows are still low, but it's not this huge emotional jump where like some days I would be ecstatic after a call and bright red and like clapping my hands and eating some celebration chocolate. And then I would have an ex call and it would be horrible. And I would be under my desk, like crying. Like, (laughs) so Thankfully, that initial hump is over. Yeah. <laughs> now it's just, you know, now we can focus on business because the emotional piece of it has just kind of regulated itself at this point. Yeah, I can completely relate to that as an entrepreneur myself of that roller coaster that first year. For me, it was a year. And I still have moments, right? But you're right, it's a little bit more. I think it goes to trust. Like, I feel like I trust myself more than I did the first year. Because the first year I was in this new identity as an entrepreneur. I had the identity of a consultant for so long. And now I had a completely new identity. And yeah, 
that there were highs and lows. And now I trust that identity more. I can confidently say, I'm this, I'm, you know, I, I run a podcast with Natalie. I am a coach, right? I'm a writer, like these things that I just have, that I trust. Um, and that helps me kind of be a little bit more self-regulating, I guess. Absolutely. Because it's, it's building up that trust. And for the first time, you don't have somebody going, um, yeah, I'm going to need you to fill out those TPS reports. Like you don't have <laughs> someone telling you what to do. You don't have KPIs that are kind of branched out for you. You don't have a job description. And that can be really overwhelming at first. So of course, it's going to be a lot more emotional. But then you just start to develop your own processes, your own ritmo, your own kind of rhythm of things, and everything else kind of falls a little bit more into place. Yeah. So I'm curious in your role now, you know, in running your, your own business, how do you know that you're showing up 100%? Like what, what tells you that like, I'm living my purpose? Like, like tell me a little bit more about what that feels like. It's the light bulb moments. I will always chase the light bulb moments. That is the biggest rush of dopamine that I think I could ever have where I'm sitting with a client, whether it's in person or on Zoom, and we're going over a concept or we're working on their confidence and they're speaking, they're speaking so well. And I think back to what, you know, we started with and all of a sudden there's this light bulb that goes off in their head and they go, I know this. I can trust myself. And that to me is just the most wonderful thing. And I know that that's a hundred percent because I give a hundred percent. And if I don't give a hundred percent, then I'm going to beat myself up for it. So like just every client, every person that is motivated to learn and to grow and to change not only their language skill set, but also their brain space, because it literally changes the gray matter in your brain to learn another language, they get 100% for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday, and she kind of called me out on some of my BS that I was sharing with her. I was afraid to reach out to someone. And she's like, Carla, what if you stepped away, like really like got rid of your SH of your ish, <laughs> like your ego basically is what she meant. And just really stepped outside of yourself and looked at that person and said, what does this person truly need? And how can I show up for this person completely in service of them? Like really, really like almost like step outside of myself to be able to do that. What would you do? What would you say to that person? And man, that was a very uncomfortable question because I think that, you know, it is easy to just kind of be like self-involved or focus on like, am I doing a good enough job? And what you're describing to me sounds like that scenario she was talking about, which is being all in, all in on the person in front of you, really in service, like completely in service. And I have had those moments where I felt that with, with my clients and it feels amazing. And it feels amazing because you're not thinking about yourself, right? Like you're not in your head. You're really focused on the other person. And when you see those aha moments, it's beautiful. Those, those light bulb moments. I, I love, I love you mentioning that. It's really powerful. Yeah. Well, I mean, that to me is success. 
Success, I don't care about how much money you make or the design on your clothes that say that you paid X amount of money for something. Success is the ability in my mind to completely and utterly serve somebody else and to know intrinsically what they want and what they need at that moment in time. Oh, man, you're like Oprah in my mind. Or, you know, like, just a shooting star of gloriousness. Like, that to me is just the most successful thing that you can ever do, is just to know and to be able to be agile enough to to adapt enough for that conversation and really dig in. Like, yeah, that's fantastic. That's a good juicy bit of life. I love that. Would you say that that view of success is one that you've always had? Or do you think that that's come more recently in your life? So, so much more recently. Um, really, ever since I started digging in more into the coaching versus teaching of language. Um, because success, I mean, I think we all grew up with like a Dolly Parton nine to five, just like going to the <laughs> office, wearing, rocking a pantsuit, like just knowing what was what was going on, thinking that you were just all that in a bag of chips, like everything. Success in my mind was like, you're thin, you are white, you are wealthy, you, you know, have your own job, but you don't need it because you have this rich husband, like picket fence, 2.5 kids. Um, because that's, that's what all the 90s sitcoms taught us. That that was what success kind of was. Over time, I've learned that success is more about support and supporting each other and supporting yourself and being able to not know the answers, but having enough support to where you have a friend to call you out on your bullshit. <laughs> you, you have, you know, the good girlfriends that can sit there with a glass of wine and ask you something really uncomfortable and you're okay with sitting in that discomfort for a moment and going, oh, like, I don't know. And so it's, it's being uncomfortable with, or being comfortable with being uncomfortable, perhaps. Maybe it's just more about the support network, but it's no longer external. In my mind, it's more internal. And that seems like something that you not only get from your own circle, but something that you focused your business around. It's like being that support to others as they're going through this learning process, as you're coaching them through it. And it sounds like you've shifted more from like a broader teaching, which is probably like one to many to more of a one to one. Have you seen that level of um, fulfillment from giving support to others just increase when you did that? Yes. I mean, not only did it help from a, from a personal side, it helped from a business side because all of a sudden I wasn't focused on my lesson plan for the day. I wasn't focused on conditional verb tenses. It was like, how can I teach this and how can you learn this and how can it stick in your head in a way that is completely and utterly dependent on you? And it's, it's just changing that perspective from me to you and saying, what, what will it mean for you to succeed in knowing this and being able to dip into it when you need it? Um, because language is language, right? It changes every day. We all know that. Yeet. I don't even know if yeet is still an acceptable verb or not. 
But because of the internet, changes every day. You can go anywhere, learn any language. But you can't go just anywhere and learn a language in a way that means something to you that will stick in your head. As you're sharing that, yeah, as you're sharing that, you're reminding me of a teaching experience I had. I think I told you a little bit about how I, I, did, I do dabble now and then in teaching Spanish or English. Um, and when I was in Mexico this past spring, I was asked to teach these two little girls, um, teach them English. And at first I resisted. I was like, I'm not an English teacher. I don't know. I'm too busy with these other things, right? And then they asked me again. And I just felt called to do it. And I, it did dawn. I, I would spend time doing the lesson plans and I would buy little snacks and, you know, little materials or whatever. And, you know, sometimes I'd get them to focus and learn something new. But most of the time, it was really about them gaining confidence and, and feeling comfortable with me and having fun. And I would talk to my mom because she she is a, an English teacher and a Spanish teacher and, and works in the language business. And she was just kind of reminding me that that, it, that the point is to have fun and to make language learning something that doesn't feel onerous, I guess, or like a have to, right? Like really building that desire to learn. And so I, I started to see my role much more differently, which was really about how do I create an experience that will allow them to want to keep learning another language as they grow up. I wasn't going to teach them the whole language dictionary and you know those few sessions we had that was not my purpose it was really to to create an experience for them that would remind them that would sit with them and stay with them hopefully for a while and make them want to learn even more right and so i think that that's an important thing about like focusing like so often i think like in our in our work we focus on like the deliverable or the getting things done checking things off and what you're, what you're saying is really making me think about the experience. What is the experience that you can create for others where you're inviting and, and, and creating safety and creating a space of enjoyment for other people? Like, what is that saying of people will remember not what you do, but how you made them feel or what, something like that, you know? And I think that's so true. And it sounds like through your business, I love that you're not just focusing on teaching the grammar and teaching the the tenses but it's really about that experience that you're creating where you're helping other people believe in themselves and connect to their why that is so so key that and it it doesn't matter what you have in your head it matters how you feel about it so if someone has crippling social anxiety to go to Spain or to go to Colombia or Costa Rica and to be able to converse or like have a conversation with someone that's such a crippling experience or could be. And it's, it's my job. And I think it's really all language teachers or coaches jobs to ignite the want. Carla, you were talking about the experience. The experience is key, but you have to have, the ignition. You have to have the engine because the experience is the car and the engine is, is that motivation, that desire to keep learning, to keep just finding out more things about, about whatever it is that you're learning, whether that's quantum mechanics or um, Spanish. <laughs> so for yeah. me, that was always through music. I first learned Juanes and I was like, oh, camisa negra? Juanes. 
I okay, love he made so a song much. just about a black shirt. What else did he sing about? Oh, Cheyenne? Okay, give me some some good, like, Carlos Vives or Shakira or Maná. Like, there are Spanish songs about literally everything out there. And yes, there it's just not only enjoying the beat, but having the desire to want to know what the lyrics say. Yeah. I love, thank you for, for adding that, that ignition being such an important thing. And I hear quite often, unfortunately, people that, that say things like, I'm too old to learn a new language, right? Or, you know, I, I'm just not someone that learns languages easily. Like it's these, these beliefs that they have about themselves that just block them. And I'm curious what you would say or advise to someone that, that does want to learn or that, has a curiosity to do it, but really is thinking, no, I'm just not someone that can learn. I'm too old. I'm too whatever. Well, it's similar to how you never called yourself a writer until you wrote a book or how you never called yourself a podcaster until you started a podcast or how it took me an entire like eight-hour, one-way, horrible bus trip to New York so that I could say that I am fluent in Spanish to take this exam. Like, we have so many self-imposed limitations in our head that it we can really be our own worst enemy for that. So for someone that says, I'm too old to learn, it's too late, I'm a lost cause, you know... If you know taco, cerveza, and hola, you already know Spanish. If you can say my company name, Aprovechar Language Solutions, you already know Spanish. It's just how much more do you want to know? And where mm -hmm. do you want to take that? And unfortunately, we get so wrapped up in our own identity. Oh, I'm fluent. I'm not fluent. I'm a beginner. I'm not. And the language learning just realm kind of doesn't doesn't help with this <laughs> because yeah. we have people that go self-select and go okay I'm beginner I'm intermediate I'm I'm advanced and and we need that for our own you know records and test taking and where where do we even start but other than that the whole kind of language learning aside how we look at ourselves and our identity our perception of ourselves and our perception of who we are in this world language is ever-changing and no one is going to be completely and utterly fluent in a language. So if no one can be fluent, then we're all just language learners in perpetuity. So it's just a matter of where are you? Where do you want to go? Why do you want to get there? And how much are you willing to put in to get there? Sometimes it's not a priority. That's perfectly fine. Life gets in the way. But when it does become a priority, it is, I think, your individual job to give it all that you can and make it count. Because if you don't make it count, then it's just going to be this spiral, this cycle of like, oh, I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm problematic. Like, I have a problem versus maybe I just haven't found the right tools for me to learn. Yeah. First of all, that's a relief, what you just said, that none of us are fluent. 
<laughs> Sorry for monologuing. You- <laughs> I get really passionate about fluency. No. <laughs> I love it. Well, and, and what I'm hearing you say is, is you need you need to decide. Like you need to make a choice of what it is that you want, right? And, and connect to that why and figure out how much of a priority it is. But then what I'm also hearing, and it connects to what you said earlier about like the power of the language, the words that we use to communicate, not only are they powerful with other people, but they're powerful with ourselves as well. So when you say something like, I am not you know, young enough to learn a language, or I am not someone who learns languages, well, yeah, you're not gonna be, <laughs> right? That language you're gonna believe and, and you're not gonna break out of that. Um, that the block or, or, or push through that block out of all the places it was a hilton garden inn in rockville maryland <laughs> you will love where i'm going with this where i had to go to get a um agile it certification um certified scrum master certification and our instructor was amazing and he said at one point He's like, okay, show of hands, who here thinks that everyone in their company is trying their best? And like three people raised their hands. I was not one of them. I was so cynical at that point. I was like, they can be better. I know it. And he was like, well, do you think that you try your best every day? And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Like 110% all the time, perfectionist. Absolutely. And it just, it still sticks in my mind of this weird juxtaposition that we have in our head. So whenever I get, you know, disappointed that, you know, someone says, Hey, Spanish isn't a priority. I'm like, they're trying their best. We're all just trying our best. We just need to give ourselves a little bit of grace in doing so. Mm, So true. (laughs) I think that applies in so many aspects of life, not just language learning. It applies to the batch of cookies I burnt last night. Yep, trying my best. <laughs> you do what you can, right? What's interesting, what I'm hearing is, um, sorry, Carla, there's this element of fear throughout all of this. So whenever I hear someone say, well, I can't do something because of X, Y, Z, they have that limiting belief, usually because it's based on fear. Like, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to look stupid you know, whatever it is. So it's based on fear. And there's also this other layer because you jumped across that fear into that fear to actually do what you're doing. So I'm curious how you view um, fear in general, but how to help someone overcome those limiting beliefs that are based on fear and how you did that for yourself. I'm, I'm scared a lot. Like I, in general, I'm, I don't like, you know, jumpy things. There was there were some ducks just outside like 20 <laughs> minutes ago that were flying towards me. And I'm like, is this the day that a duck poops on oh, me? No. I don't know. Is this the end? <laughs> so, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, no, zombie ducks. So, in general, what what I learned was, and it took me a while to actually experience this. And it, it takes a high level of self-awareness and probably therapy. But you can experience and feel the fear. And if you do it anyway, then that fear is, it's still present, but you just learn to accept it instead of fighting it. And I, unfortunately, I don't have like enough words for this, but what I wanted to 
say around that was I was talking to my mom the other night after coming back from New York and she was like, you know what? You took a bus and you left your house (laughs) and you took this bus to go to this big city. To her, New York is just this steaming metropolis. Like, um, just like you, you took this bus to go to the city, to go to a place that you had never been, to take this exam that you had never experienced, that you didn't really know what to expect. And she's like, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, thanks. I was terrified the entire time. I wore black specifically so that no one could see my back sweat because I knew I was going to be nervous sweating all day. But I did it. And now, if I ever need to go back, (laughs) if I have failed this exam and need to go back to retake it, I know exactly what to expect. I know what to do. So it's just leaning into the we don't exactly know how it's going to play out. All you can do is just pack some spare underwear and a toothbrush, hope and pray, prepare yourself and know that even if it turns out horribly and if, if it turns out poorly, you can get yourself through it. That to me is what helps with fear. I love that. Doing it scared, right? Yeah. Doing it anyway. I still have this post-it note on my desk that says, a temporary setback does not equal permanent damage. Wow. Because it's so true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I catastrophize a lot. And I go, oh no, all is lost. <laughs> I would be a great <laughs> Shakespearean playwright. Uh, and then so they tragic. Got the end. <laughs> but it just kind of reminds myself like, Put, put it in perspective. It's all fine. You still got two legs. You still got two feet. You can stand up. You can sit down. You are fine. Yeah. <laughs> you will survive. It is so easy to think of things as so much bigger than they are when you're in them. And those failures, Absolutely. like when you do go after it and you fail, it can feel like, you know, soul crushing world ending. I actually heard this great quote this morning. I was listening to a, sh- a podcast and, um, it was this hedge fund manager, and I can't remember his name. He's very rich and famous, but he said, um, failure plus perspective equals progress. And I just love that viewpoint because it's not, it's not the end of the world, right? If you can use it to learn something, if you can push past that fear, even if you don't do great, you can always learn something from it. Absolutely. And that's why I always kind of detest the the questions like, oh, well, if you knew now, or if you knew like 20 years ago, what you know now, like how, how would you do things differently? And I always answer like, I wouldn't because the bad things and the shadows and the dark times taught me not only how to appreciate the light, but how to get myself back to those light moments. And life is all about balance between light and dark you you have to be able to enjoy the sunshine as well as the moonlight no matter where you are and in, in your life in your journey in your career in your relationships you you have to have those two points so that you can flow between them absolutely my favorite quote or principle i guess from my coaching training and i say this i remind this myself all the time is you cannot make a mistake Mistakes are a judgment, right? Just like failure is a judgment. 
And when you think you cannot make a mistake, that means that everything we do is an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to grow, to get that perspective. So, Absolutely. So, Megan, thank you so much just for, for sharing your story. This is so inspirational. And we talked about success and what how you view success earlier, but I'm curious if you were to sum up what success means for you right now. How would you sum it up? Holy present. Not holy as in like... H-O-L-Y. Yeah. <laughs> W-H-O-L-L-Y. The one with the W. Yeah. Holy... <laughs> <laughs> the one the opposite of of the bagel hole uh but just being completely and utterly present in that moment in that space whoever you're talking to whatever you're talking about or maybe you're doing something that is like a brainchild or just being completely present there and and being content with that presence i think that's the other thing of success which Nicely is a weird said. definition of success i'm aware but that's what no. i would say. I don't think it's weird i think it's probably very healthy yeah it's a great thing to strive for mm -hmm. to to have that presence and i think that when you have that presence that's when the, the word that came to mind was service right like what we talked about earlier that's when you can really be there for somebody else and get those light bulb moments mm -hmm. yeah so, Megan, as we wrap up, I would love for you to tell us about this awesome opportunity that you have coming up that I am going to be a part of. I'm super excited. <laughs> tell us about the book club. I'm so excited that you're you're going to join me in this journey, this fear kind of that I'm doing this for the first time ever. But first time ever book club, Como Agua Para Chocolate. So like Water for Chocolate, also a wonderful 1992 film, um, but it basically <laughs> has the family de la Garza and it just 12 months. So there are 12 chapters in this book. Every chapter starts with a recipe. I don't know about you. I love food. So it is just a wonderful opportunity to go from Enero to Diciembre or to January to December learning about this this family and all of their drama and not only that but some of the magic that is inside that family because the protagonist anything that she cooks whatever she feels when she cooks it the people who eat her food feel as well so it has this magical part that just shows how important comida and food are not only in in the mexican culture but for for everyone because we all need some good comfort food so you will laugh you will cry it is it's a wonderful experience and opportunity and the book itself goes by pretty fast as well so this is a book club for reading the book in spanish book club for reading the book I in spanish it. It also comes with an accompanying workbook, which is like basically anyone who's kind of that intermediate, advanced. I know I'm asking people to self-select. Uh, <laughs> we already talked about that. But 
anyone who wants to read the book in Spanish, um, it's about 250 pages, and kind of get guided throughout and get the social aspect of a book club while getting the literature, the cultural, and the um, just kind of language learning aspect of reading a book in Spanish. Cool. And I think the book club starts June 9th, right? It starts June 9th, 7 p.m. It goes for four weeks. So it goes from the 9th through the 30th. And then you can start 4th of July weekend with a little checkbox next to your goal list and say, I read a freaking book in Spanish this summer. What did you do? Not only will you have that checkbox checked of having read a book, but it's also with really cool people. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. My husband's going to be there. And other people, too, that I'm sure will be pretty cool, too. <laughs> yep. So how can people sign up for this? So there is a link on my website, and there's also a link on my link tree. Um, but basically, aprovecharlanguagesolutions.com slash book club. Book dash club. Perfect. We'll put that in the notes of the show as well, so you can easily find thank it. Thank you. Megan, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We really appreciate your time. And everybody, go check out the book club. We'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you again. Thanks, Megan. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Successful. If you liked what you heard, give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at SuccessfulThePod. See you next time. Bye.